Section 9 of Red Rubber, The Story of the Rubber Slave Trade on the Congo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Red Rubber, The Story of the Rubber Slave Trade on the Congo, by Edmund Dean Morrell. The Deeds, Part 2. Weeks, John of the British Baptist Missionary Society, extract from a report to the District Commissioner of the Bangala region, dated Monsembe, November 6, 1897, handed to the Commission of Inquiry in January 1905, published in full in the CRA organ for July 1905. Area, Riverbanks, and Central Region Last year the country all about here was flooded, Yet you levied your cassava tax month after month upon the people, in addition to your oil, fowls, and goat tax, etc. The people here had not enough to eat, and as their cassava was destroyed by the flood, they had to buy it at an exorbitant price from more fortunate districts. This year again the country is flooded and the farms spoiled, but I suppose you will enforce the cassava tax, and the people have to starve again, and why? to feed and strengthen the state soldiers, to raid them again in their weakness. You take away the sturdy young men, leaving only the old people and children, so that every steamer that stays here loots the town, because the proper defenders have been taken off by the state. Mr. Weeks, reporting to the District Commissioner and to the Governor-General in June 1903, deals with the depopulation of the country since 1890. His full letter is published in the West African Mail, October 1903. It covers 13 years. It distresses me very much to see and hear that this town and others of this and neighboring districts are in a more deplorable state than they were two years ago when Mr. Weeks returned to Europe on furlough. When we came to settle in Monsembe in 1890, there were over 7,000 people between here and Bokongo. In 1900, there were very few over 3,000, and now there are not many over 1,000. If the decrease continues at the same rate, in another five years there will be no people left. Proceeds to set forth the causes. Continual deportation of young men to serve as soldiers and workmen, and of young women for other purposes. Demand for men levied without any regard to population. Flight to get away from oppressive taxation. Sleeping sickness thinks that this disease would never have taken such a hold upon the people if they had not had their spirit crushed out of them by an ever-increasing burden of taxation. Taxation in foodstuffs becoming heavier and heavier. Imposition of fines sapping the life of the people. Heart-rendering to compare this district now with what it was in 1890. In letters to friends in England, dated June and July 1903, I say, without any fear of contradiction, that the condition of the people is, to put it mildly, 100% worse than in 1893. The entire population of the district is now 9,400, and quite half has recently been driven from the bush to the river to repopulate its banks. Stanley, in 1885, 
reckoned this same district at 80,000 people. In 1890, Mr. Stapleton and myself, in search of a site, landed at a very large number of towns, and concluded that the figures of 1885 were too high, and put the population down at 50,000. The population has dropped in 13 years from 50,000 to under 5,000. This is not the only district which has gone down in population. Starting from Stanley Pool, Bwemba has about 100 for every thousand it once had. Bolobo has not a third of its former population. Here follows an enumeration of towns with their old and former population. Morrison William of the American Presbyterian Mission reports outrages in the Kasai district beginning in 1898. They are given in the next record. Murphy, of the American Baptist Union, describes in times of 1895 the raids and atrocities carried on by Congo troops in his district from 1893 to 5. The hands, the hands of men, women, and children, were placed in rows before the commissaire, who counted them to see that the natives had not wasted cartridges. Area, Domaine de la Corune, Lake Mantumba. Casement Roger, British Consul in the Congo. It is difficult to dissect, from the point of view of time, the long and detailed disclosures of Consul Casement, which disclosures cover the past as well as dealing with the present. But here and there are passages which can be selected as showing how the present-day situation is the outcome of long years of oppression. Consul Casement's report was published in 1904. Area, Domaine de la Corune. The population of the lakeside towns would seem to have diminished within the last ten years by sixty to seventy percent. It was in 1893 that an effort to levy an India rubber imposition in this district was begun, and for some four or five years this imposition could only be collected at the cost of continual fighting. Area, Riverbanks. The station at Bikoro has been established as a government plantation for about ten years. It stands on the actual site of the former native town of Bikoro, an important settlement in 1893, now reduced to a handful of ill-kept, untidy huts, inhabited by only a remnant of its former expropriated population. We touched at several points on the French shore, and on the 25th of July reached Lukolela, where I spent two days. This district had, when I visited it in 1887, numbered fully 5,000 people. Today the population is given, after careful enumeration, at less than 600. Bolobo used to be one of the most important native settlements along the south bank of the Upper Congo, and the population in the early days of civilized rule numbered fully 40,000 people chiefly of the Bubangi tribe. Today the population is believed to be not more than 7,000 or 8,000 souls. The Bolobo men were famous in former days for their voyages to Stanley Pool and their keen trading ability. All of their large canoes have today disappeared, and while some of them still hunt hippopotami, which are still numerous in the adjacent waters, I did not observe anything like industry among them. 
Indeed, it would be hard to say how the people now live. Perhaps the most striking change observed during my journey into the interior was the great reduction observable everywhere in native life. Communities I had formerly known as large and flourishing centers of population are today entirely gone, or now exist in such diminished numbers as to be no longer recognizable. The southern shores of Stanley Pool had formerly a population of fully 5,000 botecas. These people some twelve years ago decided to abandon their homes, and in one night the great majority of them crossed over into French territory. Where formerly had stretched these populous native African villages, I saw today only a few scattered European houses. In Leopoldville there are not, I should estimate, one hundred of the original natives or their descendants now residing. Area, Domain de la Couronne. In the notes to his report, Consul Casement gives details of native evidence showing how the lakeside people were extirpated. I decided to visit the nearest settlement of these fugitives. I asked first why they had left their homes and had come to live in a strange, far-off country where they owned nothing and were little better than servitors. All, when the question was put, women as well as men shouted out, on account of the rubber tax levied by the government posts. I asked them how this tax was imposed. From our country, each village had to take twenty loads of rubber. These loads were big. They were as big as this, producing an empty basket which came nearly up to the handle of my walking stick. We had to take these loads in four times a month. Now how much pay did you get? Entire audience. We got no pay. We got nothing. It used to take ten days to get the twenty baskets of rubber. We were always in the forest, and then when we were late we were killed. We had to go further and further into the forest to find the rubber vines, to go without food, and our women had to give up cultivating the fields and gardens. Then we starved. Wild beasts, the leopards, killed some of us when we were working away in the forest, and others got lost or died from exposure and starvation, and we begged the white men to leave us alone, saying we could get no more rubber, but the white men and their soldiers said, Go! You're only beasts yourselves. You are Nyama, meat. We tried, always going further into the forest, and when we failed and our rubber was short, the soldiers came up to our towns and shot us. Many were shot. Some had their ears cut off. Others were tied up with ropes around their necks and bodies and taken away. We fled because we could not endure the things done to us. Our chiefs were hanged and we were killed and starved and worked beyond endurance to get rubber. The white men told their soldiers, You kill only women, you cannot kill men. So when the soldiers killed us, here he stopped and hesitated, and then pointing to the private parts of my bulldog, it was lying asleep at my feet, he said, Then they cut off those things and took them to the white men, who said, It is true you have killed men. You mean to tell me that any white man ordered your bodies to be mutilated like that, and those parts of you carried to him? All shouting, Yes, many white men. You say this is true? Were many of you so treated after being shot? All shouting, Nkoto, Nkoto. Very many, very many. 
Mr. Scrivener in his diary confirms this last statement. He heard it from the lips of the sentries themselves, and in the Mongala massacres of 1899, the agents of the Anniversois confessed to ordering sexual mutilations. Dealing in a long enclosure with the appalling depopulation of this region, Consul Casement gives as a primary reason thereof. War, in which children and women were killed as well as men. Women and children were killed not in all cases by stray bullets, but were taken as prisoners and killed. Sad to say, these horrible cases were not always the acts of some black soldier. Proof was laid against one officer who shot one woman and one man, while they were before him as prisoners with their hands tied, and no attempt was made to deny the truth of the statement. To those killed in the so-called war must be added large numbers who died while kept as prisoners of war. The irregular food supply has been another cause, says the consul. The native is without ambition because without hope. He does not attend to his own plantations owing to the sense of insecurity. When sickness comes, he does not care. A third cause is the lower percentage of births. Weakened bodies brings this about. Also, women refuse to bear children and take means to save themselves from motherhood. They give us the reason that, if war should come, a woman big with child or with a baby to carry cannot well run away and hide from the soldiers. With regard to the mutilations practiced by the soldiers and referred to by Mr. Clark and others, the consul says, Of acts of persistent mutilation by government soldiers of this nature, I had many statements made to me, some of them specifically, others in a general way. Of the fact of this mutilation, and the causes inducing it, there can be no shadow of doubt. It was not a native custom prior to the coming of the white man. It was not the outcome of the primitive instincts of savages in their fights between village and village. It was a deliberate act of the soldiers of European administration, and these men themselves never made any concealment that in committing these acts they were but obeying the positive orders of their superiors. Whitehead, John, of the British Baptist Missionary Society Extracts from Letter to Governor-General, dated Lukulela, July 28, 1903 Published in Africa No. 1, 1904 White Book Area, Riverbanks The population of the villages of Lukulela in January 1891 must have been not less than 6,000 people, but when I counted the whole population of Lukulela at the end of December 1896, I found it to be only 719, and I estimated from the decrease, as far as we could count up the known number of deaths during the year, that at the same rate of decrease, in ten years the people would be reduced to about 400. But judge of my heartache when on counting them all again on Friday and Saturday last, to find only a population of 352, and the death rate rapidly increasing. Records from 1899 to 1903 With the year 1898, the great trusts of the central region came into being, and to the horrors of the Domaine de la Couronne, and all that had been up to that time Domaine Privé, were added the horrors of the trust area. 
as the agents of these concerns, which are the king under varying labels, vide section 4, struck new ground, or, as was the case with the ABIR, carried further devastation into the districts already tapped. Lacroix and other agents of the Anversau Trust, Confessions of Area, Central Region, Mongala Fighting in the Mongala district had been continuous since 1898. On April 10, 1900, the Ninue Gazette of Antwerp published the Confessions of Lacroix. Instructed by his superiors to attack a certain village for shortage in rubber, he had killed in the course of his raid many women and children. I am going to appear before the judge for having killed 150 men, cut off 60 hands, for having crucified women and children, for having mutilated many men and hung their sexual remains on the village fence. Other confessions followed, published in Le Petit Bleu and other papers. The Congo courts inflicted long terms of imprisonment. The men never served them, and have long since been released. The defense was identical. They had acted under instructions, to force rubber by any and every means. The superiors were not troubled. Later on, as we shall see, the trial of the man Caldron, also an agent of the Anversaw, showed four years later a precisely similar state of affairs existing in the district. Weeks, John. See above. Letter to protest to District Commissioner of Bangala, dated Monsemba, November 30, 1903. Published in the West African Mail in 1904. Describes punishment of towns of Bokongo, Bogondo, etc., for shortage in foodstuffs by a force of 150 soldiers under an officer, Gives names of eleven women, ten men, and a girl slaughtered unresisting. It is very evident from the different places in which these people were shot down that there was no armed resistance. Have you neither mothers nor sisters that you can treat women in this brutal way? Mr. Weeks proceeds to give particulars of increasing wretchedness of people owing to scandalous taxation, people compelled to sell their relatives into slavery to meet it gives names of people sold into slavery to provide foodstuffs for state stations. Lieutenant in charge was allowed to return to Europe, although a subsequent inquiry confirmed the truth of Weeks' charges, so admitted by the Commission of Inquiry. In a letter to the author dated December 24, 1903, published in the West African Mail, 1904, gives abundant and detailed statistics of taxation in foodstuffs, shows that the 820 natives of all ages and both sexes in the four sections of Malela, Bogondo, Mungondo and Bokongo must supply each year to the state foodstuffs aggregating 1,605 pounds, 16 shilling, 8 pence in value. I need scarcely point out that very young children, very old people and invalids cannot earn a wage or even farm or fish, Consequently, the burden falls heavier on those who can, and the vision before them is one of unceasing toil in order to comply with the demands of the state. Is it any wonder that natives die under the burden? The wonder to me is that so many are alive after these seven years of oppression and taxation. 
Death has less horror than this constant grind, this perpetually trying to fill a bottomless sack, this everlasting payment of heavy taxes, meeting exorbitant fines, being shot down untried, or forced to work in the chain on a state station. Death is kinder than this sort of living. My colleague has just returned from spending a week among the Nbodo towns, and his comment on what he there beheld was, Death and decay in all around, I see. Tilkins, lieutenant, officer of the force publique. His letters read in the Belgian house in July 1903. Cover, 1897 to 1900. At the time he wrote them, Tilkins was carrying out his duties as fixed by his superior officers. Vita sections 1 and 4. Area, northeastern region. Domaine Privé. Letter to Major Lessons of the Belgian Army on July 20, 1898. The chef de poste of Buta announces the arrival of the steamer Van der Kerhove, which is to be floated upon the Nile. He will require the colossal number of 1,500 carriers. Unhappy blacks. I do not like to think of it. I ask myself, where can I find them? If the roads were good it might be different, but they are barely cleared, crossed repeatedly by marshes, where many will find a certain death. Hunger and the fatigues of an eight days' march will account for many more. What blood this transport has not caused to flow! Three times already have I been forced to make war upon chiefs who refuse to cooperate in the work. Unfortunately they are but poorly paid for such arduous labour, five pence worth of cowries for the upward journey, and a piece of American cloth for the homeward journey. If a chief refuses, it is war, and that atrocious war, perfected weapons of destruction against spears and lances. A native chief has just come to tell me, my village is a heap of ruins, all my wives have been killed, yet what can I do? When I tell my people to carry the white man's goods, they flee to the woods, and when your soldiers come to recruit, I can give them no one because my people prefer to die of hunger in the woods rather than do transport work. Often am I compelled to put these unhappy chiefs in the chains until some one hundred or two hundred carriers are obtained, which procures their liberation. Very often my soldiers find the villages deserted, then they seize women and children and capture them to his mother in 1898. Commandant Meses, my district commissioner, is about to return, and Commandant Verstraten, the friend of Major Lensens, replaces him. It is he who inspected my station and who complimented me highly. He told me that the nature of his report would depend upon the quantity of rubber produced. When he left me he told me to employ myself actively in collecting rubber, and from 360 kilos in September my production rose to 1,500 kilos in October, and this month I trust it will be over 2,000 kilos. By January I shall be making 4,000 kilos per month, which makes 500 francs profit above my salary. I really am a lucky fellow, and if I play at rubber for two years, I shall make 12,000 francs over and above my salary. On January 26, 1899, Commandant Verstraten wrote to the Governor-General. 
I draw the government's attention to Lieutenant Tilkins, Landegem, and Versleeper. These agents have specially distinguished themselves in putting in train the exploitation of rubber. To them is due the surprising results obtained in the area allotted to their action. Tilkins to Major Lensons, May 12, 25, July 11, and August 10, 1899. I expect a general uprising. I think I warned you of this, Major, in my last. The motive is always the same. The natives are tired of the existing regime, transport work, rubber collecting, furnishing livestock for whites and blacks. For three months I have been fighting with ten days' rest. I have 152 prisoners. For two years I have been making war in this country, always accompanied by 40 or 50 albinis. Footnote. E.G. Soldiers armed with the albini rifle. End of footnote. Yet I cannot say I have subjugated the people. They prefer to die. What can I do? I am paid to do my work. I am an instrument in the hands of my chiefs, and I obey the orders which discipline exacts. First Stratton was never punished. Nay, he has been promoted in the Belgian army, which he continues to adorn. Ruskin of the Congo Balolo Mission Declarations before Judicial Officer Rossi, April 12, 1902. Minutes taken down by Mr. Jeffrey of the same mission, in shorthand. Confirmed before Commission of Inquiry, and accepted as correct, 1904. Published in 1904 by author. Area. ABIR Concession. Central Region. Extracts. In the early months of 1899, M. had a large number of prisoners, e.g. hostages, at the factory. They were improperly fed and cared for, and died at the rate of from three, five, and sometimes ten a day. They were dragged by a piece of ngoji tied to the foot out into the bush, and only a little earth and a few sticks thrown on top of them. Hands and feet were left sticking up, and the stench was awful. On July 18, 1899, four were released. An old man was found in the mission station. We gave him food and water, which he ate ravenously. The director came up and released 106 prisoners. We saw them pass our station, living skeletons. Some were so much reduced that they had to be carried home. Among them were old, grey-headed men and women. Many children were born in prison. They also seized Balua, the wife of Botanga, and M. F. had her flogged, giving her two hundred shikot. So severely was she dealt with that blood and urine flowed from her. She died shortly after. One man had bad rubber. M. G. compelled him to lie on the ground, and Ilunga, one of the sentries, gave the man shikot. G. then struck the man with the flat of a machete, and he jumped up. G. drew his revolver and shot him through the leg. M. F. thought that these men were not strong enough and therefore could not compel the people to bring in what he considered sufficient rubber. Once when he was away his men stole some rubber, and for this he had them tied up right in the sun to stakes for a day and a night. Mrs. Cole, now Mrs. Harbour, when passing on her way to the school, saw the men there from a distance. They were naked and without food and water all day, 
and so great was their agony that their tongues were hanging out. The deer, French explorer attached to the Bourg de Boussos expedition, passed through the Lado enclave in October 1902, reports the neighborhood of the Congo State Fort at Dufil deserted by its former inhabitants. Along the whole course of the route, the natives had fled, fearing the white man's impositions. Area, northeastern region, domain privé. Cromer, Erlov, reporting to British government of the same region in 1903. White Book, Africa, number 1, 1904, says, The reason of all this, deserted condition of the country, oppression, etc., is obvious enough. The Belgians are disliked. The people fly from them, and it is no wonder they should do so, for I am informed that the soldiers are allowed full liberty to plunder, that payments are rarely made for supplies. I understand that no Belgian officer can move outside the settlements without a strong guard. Grogan, independent English explorer, says of the whole eastern frontier, the main privé. From the north of Lake Albert to Lake Mveru, there is a perfect state of chaos. Whole districts are administered by incompetent officials, often non-commissioned officers, and the troops are the lowest type of natives, almost invariably cannibals. The people were terrorized and living in marshes. The Belgians have crossed the frontier, descended into the valley, shot down large numbers of natives, British subjects, driven off the young women and cattle, and actually tied up and burned the old women. I do not make these statements without having gone into the matter. Every village has been burned to the ground, and as I fled from the country I saw skeletons, skeletons everywhere, and such postures, what tales of horror they told. Thus a tract of country about three thousand square miles in extent has been depopulated and devastated. This was the Congo Free State when in Mbuya the Balega told me similar tales. Here I was repeatedly given accounts that tallied in all essentials, and further north the Wakoba made the same piteous complaints, and I saw myself that a country well populated and responsive to just treatment in Lugard's time is now practically a howling wilderness. Bakari, captain-surgeon in the Navy, Royal Italian envoy to the Congo in regard of a bogus immigration scheme fostered by the King Leopold to throw dust in the eyes of the Italian public, passed through the eastern district, Domaine Privé, in 1903. Report suppressed by Italian government. A bald, very bald summary only allowed to appear. As to the natives, those nearest to the proposed Italian settlements are nearly all in revolt against the Belgians. Everywhere the blacks are terrorized and suspicious. The natives have been compelled to work, so we have all the ghastly scenes of the slave trade, the collar, the lash, and the press gang. Interviewed by the Giornale d'Italia, Captain Baccari stated that the Italian officers employed in the Congo were intended to be used in the enslavement of the natives, but that they had refused to carry out this design, and had in consequence become objects of persecution. Many reports of the Italian officers employed in the Congo army were published by the Italian papers in 1905, covering their experiences chiefly in the eastern district. Summing up these reports, the Corriere della Sera says, 
Slavery nominally established is rampant. Cannibalism exists, and the sole desire of the native is, if possible, to flee from the white man. Vida, also statement in section 4. Lloyd, A.B., independent English traveler, crossed the Congo from the Samliki to the ocean in 1899. Area, northeastern region, Domaine Privé. In the afternoon I was walking through the potato fields when I came upon sixty or a hundred women, all with hoes cultivating the ground, and close at hand a native soldier with a rifle across his shoulder, mounting guard. I inquired where all the poor creatures had come from, and was told a sad story, alas, not uncommon in the Belgian Free State. A Wakona chief had been told to do some work for the Belgians, and when he refused, soldiers were sent, and upon the least resistance the men were shot down and the women captured. It was a sad sight to behold these poor creatures driven like dogs here and there and kept hard at their toil from morning till night. One of the Belgian soldiers told me that there had been many killed, including the chief, and when I said what a terrible thing it was, he merely laughed and said, Washensi Bevana, they are only heathen. Scrivener, A.E., of the British Baptist Missionary Society, traversed the tract 150 miles long on foot in the Domaine de la Couronne in July, August, and September 1903. Allowed the author to make full use of his diary, printed in full in the West African Mail in 1905. It is very voluminous, and the briefest summary here given. In the afternoon we passed a ruined mud house, and were told that this had been a rubber post with soldiers in charge, but that since all the people had run away, it had been given up. Later on we saw still more numerous sites where only recently thousands of people had been living. Cassava was still growing in the plantations, and bananas were rotting on the trees. All as still as the grave. A little further on we found another deserted rubber post. Just as the sun was setting, we reached a large and imposing state post. All round were plentiful signs of the former population. Later I heard from a white official that the remaining population did not number a hundred all told. For hours we walked through a deserted country, though here and there on both sides were frequent signs of a recent population. Three chiefs came in with all the adult members of their people, and altogether there were not three hundred. And this is where not more than six or seven years previously there were at least three thousand. It made one's heart heavy to listen to the tales of bloodshed and cruelty. We passed through miles and miles of deserted sites, and on all sides were groves of palms and bananas and many other evidences of a big people. A man bringing in rather under the proper amount of rubber, the white man flies into a rage, and seizing a rifle from one of the guards, shoots him dead on the spot. Men who had tried to run from the country and had been caught were brought to the station and made to stand one behind the other, and an Albini bullet sent through them. A pity to waste cartridges on such wretches. On M, removing from the station, his successor nearly fainted on attempting to enter the station prison, in which were numbers of poor wretches so reduced by starvation and the awful stench from weeks of accumulation of filth that they were not able to stand. In due course we reached Ibali, 
There was hardly a sound building in the place. Why such dilapidation? The commandant away on a trip likely to extend into three months, the sub-lieutenant away in another direction on a punitive expedition. In other words, the station must be neglected and rubber hunting carried out with all vigor. I stayed here two days, and the one thing that impressed itself on me was the collection of rubber. I saw long files of men come, as at Mbongo, with their little baskets under their arms, saw them paid their milk tin full of salt and the two yards of calico flung at the headmen, saw their trembling timidity. So much for my journey to the lake, Lake Leopold II. It has enlarged my knowledge of the country, and also, alas, my knowledge of the awful deeds enacted in the mad haste to get rich. The Bulgarian atrocities might be considered as mildness itself when compared with what has been done here. End of section 9